God, we give you thanks for this day. God, we thank you for sending your spirit upon us and using your spirit to animate us and move us in the world. God, we pray that we would listen to your spirit, we would listen to your scriptures, and that we would be obedient to your work in our lives. We pray all these things in Jesus' name. Amen. So our story today in Acts, it's pretty clear, right, that there's some kind of cross-cultural experience happening, right? You've got this eunuch from Ethiopia and Philip, right, from, from Israel, and they've got this interaction. And clearly there's probably more differences amongst them than similarities. And it kind of made me think about some of the different times I've had cross-cultural interactions. I've been able to travel to a bunch of different places around the world, oftentimes in connection with mission trips and, and things like that. And um, there's a couple things that I've kind of noticed that are pretty common in my experiences um, that I've had, whether I've been in Kenya or Guatemala or Mexico, Jamaica, Israel, and one or two other places that I've been able to travel to. And one of them is, and this probably won't come from come as a surprise hearing this from me, but um, soccer is kind of this universal language. It's a connection point. I always make it a point to pack my soccer jerseys when I go on mission trips because I know it's a, it's a point of conversation, whether that's someone giving me a thumbs up or a thumbs down because they don't like the team that I support. Um, it, it, I'm, I'm ready to play soccer at any moment when the moment arises, and that is often that is usually pretty often. And what's been really fun for me is that's been an instant place of connection I've been able to have with people when we don't speak the same language. But soccer is something where we can come together and laugh and, and just, there's just kind of a, a connection point. So that's, that's one thing I've, I've noticed amongst all of my cross-cultural experiences. Um, another thing that has been a pretty common experience for me has been curiosity about my ethnic background. Um, I think some of this has been most more often than not when I've traveled on a missions team, I've gone with a majority white team. And so there's usually some curiosity when I'm showing up in Kenya with a team of Americans and there's this Asian guy, kind of what's going on here? How does this all fit together? I know almost without a doubt, when I have been to um, Latin American countries, whether that's Mexico or Guatemala, one of the first things that I get asked by people is, they ask me, Chino? They're asking me, are you, are you Chinese? And I say, si, y soy japonés y coreano también. I'm Japanese and Korean in addition to be Chinese. And that's kind of like an interesting point and usually what follows from there is I often get a nickname, which is generally speaking either Bruce Lee or Jackie Chan, <laughs> because that's usually their reference point for, for, for Asian people, people of Asian descent. And I'm, I'm, I thought about that for a little bit because I was like, what do I, what do, I do with that? That's kind of strange, right? But it, it dawned on me that oftentimes I'm I've been doing ministry in rural areas of the country, not in the big city centers. And it's very possible that I'm the first Asian person they've ever met in real life. Or maybe it's been a long, long time. And so they have, that, that's been a, a cool cultural experience to have, right? A lot, oftentimes, if you're living in a rural part in the third world, if you live in your village, you will probably die in your village. And you probably have not gone to many other places, maybe the big city every now and then. So that's always been an interesting 
moment for me of, of connection with people and being able to, you know, sometimes able to share a little bit about my cultural background, where that's coming from and, and how the Lord is at work even in the midst of that. Um, the other thing that I've noticed that a lot of these trips have had in common is when we're thinking about mission work, one thing I'm always discovering is that God is already at work in the places that I'm going to. I'm not the one bringing the gospel to them. Actually, what's happening is this really interesting exchange, and this is where the cross-cultural piece comes in, is I, I have an experience of God, right? I, I've read the scriptures. I can share how God is at work in my life. And what happens is I come in contact with someone who's different. And when I share that, there's actually this discovery that happens that the God that I worship and follow here in the U.S., here in Fairhope, Daphne on the eastern shore in Alabama is the same God that someone in Guatemala or Kenya or wherever else we might be, right? Even maybe somewhere else in the U.S. They are worshiping the same God. And sometimes we just need to kind of tease out how that works. I think the Holy Spirit, right? As we've been seeing in, in what Dan read in the gospel, right? The Holy Spirit is the one who's really doing the work, right? It's not me. The Holy Spirit is the one charged with preparing people's hearts, charged with pointing them to Christ. And all I need to do truly, right, is recognize that moment, that opportunity to share about how God is at work in my life and how God might be working in their midst. I think this morning um, we're going to kind of take a deeper dive into this Acts 8 passage, right? I, I mentioned this interaction between Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch because I think this, this story here in Acts has a lot to teach us now. I think we live in a world that can often feel fragmented by the different cultures that we're a part of. And one of the things that, that kept coming to me, hi, Audrey, you, you want to you share with daddy? Um, one of the things that, that um, was really clear to me in, in reading this, this exchange in the book of Acts, the beginning of the church, was how there is no cultural barrier that's greater than the work of the Holy Spirit in the world, right? The gospel will come through. And interestingly, right, we actually see two men from different cultural backgrounds who are willing to listen to the Holy Spirit, and they're willing to listen to one another. And despite their clear differences, God is glorified by how they interact with each other. Right? The God of every tribe and tongue and people and nation, that God is at work in the world, reconciling people to himself and to one another through the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, on the cross in the power of the Holy Spirit. That's what the gospel is about. And so before we really get into the details of the text, I think it's important that we would remember the trajectory, if you will, of the work that Jesus promised that the Holy Spirit would do in the early church, right? Again, um, in, in our reading from John, you get a little insight into who the Holy Spirit is and how the Holy Spirit wants to act in the world. And I'm also thinking of the beginning of the book of Acts, right? We're in Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 1, the last thing that Jesus says to his disciples before he ascends to be with the Father is that they are going to actually finally 
receive the Holy Spirit who had been promised long ago. And that Holy Spirit is going to cause them to be witnesses to Jesus in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. And think about that for a second, right? I, I, whenever I hear this, I've got these kind of like concentric circles in my mind, right? You've got Jerusalem, right? The middle, where they are, their immediate community. That's where the Holy Spirit's been poured out at first, right? It's in Jerusalem. And then you, you expand out a little bit, right? You've got Judea. This is maybe their county, their region, their state, to put it into American language, right? Places where there's some familiarity. And let's push out one more level, Samaria. Interesting, right? Samaria is known for being kind of half Jewish and half Gentile. So you've got both similarity and difference that's nearby. And then further, right, the ends of the earth, right? That doesn't need any explanation. I think we know what we mean when they say the ends of the, ends of the earth. And here's what I think is really interesting about the book of Acts. The book of Acts, I think we can think about it as the story of how the Holy Spirit is actually going to work out this promise, right? That these men and women of God would spread the message about Jesus further and further and further and further into the world. That's really what we see going on. And just prior to the account we read in the first half of Acts chapter 8, you see Philip preaching the gospel in Samaria, right? So that third set is already in play. And I think what's interesting, right, like uh, this trajectory that I'm talking about, you see it, you see we're going further and further away, not only in terms of geographic difference, right, but also cultural differences. The Samaritans, like I mentioned, they were part Jew and part Gentile, and they didn't comfortably fit in either culture. But there was still good news about Jesus that needed to be spread. And it had to keep going even beyond Samaria, right, to the ends of the earth. So our passage that we pick up in Acts 8.26, it begins with an angel of the Lord telling Philip, he says, go further south. Go on this road that runs from Jerusalem to Gaza. So Gaza, as a reference point, is kind of on the the edge of the Mediterranean Sea, and it would have been a common stopping point between Jerusalem and Egypt, right? So if you can kind of picture that a little bit in your head, if, you're, if that helps with the, with the geography there. And here's what's interesting about Gaza. Gaza is known as the land of the Philistines in the Old Testament, right? Gaza is full of what would have been perceived in the Old Testament to be some of God's enemies, right? Who's one of the most famous Philistines? Goliath. So that's what you've got to keep in mind, right? This isn't a f- necessarily a familiar place to Philip. Philip might have some opinions about the people that are there in Gaza. And the angel, I also think this is a really interesting point, because Luke, right, he's a really clever writer. He gives you lots of details and nuance, and they're always there for a reason. Luke sp- says that the angel said that this area is known as being a desert, right? Right? Who wants to go to a desert, right? That's not on our, our, our usual place of, of wanting to stop for a destination, right? And so I think what we can see, right, is that Philip is being directed by God to kind of go out of his way to a place that he might not have wanted to go otherwise. 
God is pushing Philip out of his comfort zone. The destination and the purpose, they're not clear to him yet. But I think what we can't see is clear is Philip's obedience, right? He says yes. He starts walking. He says yes to the way that God's leading him. I think something that struck me about this passage as I was studying it this week is that this passage takes place specifically on a road, right? It doesn't take place at the perceived destination, right? It doesn't happen in Gaza where Philip thinks he needs to be going. Philip has to be ready to respond to God even in the midst of his travels, right? He can't just be so focused on where he's going that he misses what God's doing as he's getting there. The road isn't really a space where we think about of calling home, right? Roads are usually destination places. They're thoroughfares, right? They're how we get to the place that we might call home or the destination we're trying to get to. It's this weird kind of nebulous in-between space. And I think what's really interesting about this passage is it's in this like undefined space where God says, I want to be found, right? It's this bringing together of both the familiar and the foreign. It's this reminder that God is the Lord, even of the uncertainty of the road and of the ways that we travel. Some of you may know that I also, in addition to some of my roles here, more generally at the church, um, my area of focus is student ministry, so ministry to our teenagers. And something that we've been doing in student ministry during this Easter season is we've been taking a look a little more in depth at the different interactions that Jesus has after his, he's resurrected on Easter Sunday up until he ascends. And so we've kind of focused in on little bits and pieces of those gospel narratives of the ways where Jesus is literally surprising, right, his disciples who think he's dead, who don't think he should be alive. And the way, and also looking at not only that surprise that happens, right, this good news that Jesus is in fact alive and everything that he said is actually turning out to be true, but also looking at how are they responding to this surprise from Jesus, right? because it's not what they're expecting. Are they able to notice this new thing that God might be doing? And so something that I've been challenging all of us, and I say us because this has been something I've been learning as I've been teaching and sharing with the students, is I've been challenging us in student ministry to be thinking about, are there God moments that are happening in your life right now? Are they things you can point to? Are they things you can spell out? And part of the way that I know I need to be attuned to see those God moments, right, when I'm on that road, when I maybe haven't gotten to where I want to be, is it's slowing down. It's actually taking time every day to, to pray, to acknowledge God's presence in my life. Maybe even asking that question, right? Lord, what would you have me do? Not big picture, not five, ten year plan with my life, but Lord, what do you want me to do today? Right? What do you want me to see about how you're moving all around me that I need to pay attention to? I think it's important because otherwise I know I can get so goal-oriented or destination-focused that I might miss God on that road. 
I think Philip, he didn't know what God was trying to do in the moment. But I think this is important. Philip was willing to watch. He was willing to listen to God. And most importantly, he was, res- he was willing to respond to the prompting that the Holy Spirit put in his life. And so here's where this story gets really interesting, right? Philip, on his journey south from Jerusalem to Gaza, what happens? He comes across a fellow traveler. And again, Luke gives us all the details we need to be able to kind of picture this in our mind. So Philip comes across this chariot. And inside this chariot is seated an Ethiopian person, an Ethiopian man, but not just any Ethiopian, right? Luke says he's this high-ranking court official who was in, in charge of the queen's treasury. And not only was, that's, there's another detail that Luke wants to make sure that we understand. He says this man is a eunuch. So this man had been castrated so as to avoid any temptations that might have happened about working in close relationship with the royal court where he served. So if we think about Philip and we think about this Ethiopian eunuch, right? As I mentioned, these men couldn't be further different in a lot of respects, right? From a, from in terms of like their ethnic makeup or racial background, in terms of socioeconomic status, in terms of their types of work that they were doing, right? They had very little in common. I think from an outsider's perspective, we would say they maybe don't have anything in common at all. But the one thing that they did have in common was actually the most important thing of all. It's clear that both of these men were seeking God, right? The text tells us that the Ethiopian eunuch, he was traveling back to his home because he had been in Jerusalem to worship in the temple. One of the commentators that I had read said they estimated this journey from Ethiopia to Jerusalem would have probably taken like five months or so to happen, Probably as, a, as an emissary for, for the royal court, he was probably doing some business along the way. But if we think about that, right, that's a 10-month round-trip journey. And part of that important piece for, for this eunuch was to worship in the temple. And right as he's traveling back, what's happening? He's reading the scroll of Isaiah out loud. That was a common practice of the day. It was an oral culture, right? So part of what they would do is they would read out loud, and that would help them to remember and to keep important things in the the forefront of their mind, right? And interestingly, right, this is the moment where the Spirit nudges Philip, right? Hey, go talk to him. Go up to the chariot. I know that probably feels weird, but, but do it. Trust me, right? And so... What does Philip do? He goes and, and, and there's this interaction that takes place. He asks him, do you understand what you're reading? Because Philip can now tell, right? He's reading from Holy Scripture. He's reading a passage in Isaiah 53 that is talking about who Jesus will be. And he's helping him to understand that. I think it's clear, right, that this eunuch is seeking after God. But what's also clear is that God is, is also seeking after this eunuch. And he happens to be using Philip as part of that journey. 
In his classic book, Life Together, theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer, he, he talks about the nature of the church and Christian community. This is a book that I love. I probably revisit it once a year-ish or so. And it's really had an impact on how I think about what are relationships in the church? What are they supposed to look like? And one of the things that Bonhoeffer is quick to point out from the beginning of this book is that Jesus is the only foundation for the relationships that we have in the church. And we can only come to one another through Jesus, first and foremost, right? Because Jesus is the one who's reconciled God and humanity and humanity to one another. That when we put other things in front of that connection point that we have through Christ, we don't actually have the community that we think that we have. And that there are things in our, in our lives, right, that can divide us rather than reconcile us. And that the human points of commonality we might think that we have, they're never more significant than the bond that we share in Christ. I was reading this story in Acts. I had to look up this, uh, this passage from, from Life Together because I was making this connection. This is what Bonhoeffer writes about our relationships with one another. Bonhoeffer says, self-centered love constructs its own image of other persons about what they are and what they, should what, what they should become. It takes the life of the other person into its own hands. Spiritual love recognizes the true image of the other person as seen from the perspective of Jesus Christ. It is the image Jesus Christ has formed and wants to form in all people. And in reading that, it led me to reflect on this passage in a different way. It made me wonder, as we like to say, using some of our godly play language. What if Philip wasn't willing to engage with the eunuch because he thought he was too different than him? What if he let his preconceived notions about Ethiopians or rich court officials get in the way of this interaction? I think simply put, he would have missed a chance to be used powerfully by God to show forth how the love of God is truly for all peoples of the earth. And as this Ethiopian eunuch is wrestling with the text of Isaiah 53, 7 and 8, it's through joining with Philip in reading the scriptures and both men seeking God's wisdom that both men are actually transformed. Right? Philip helps him to see how Jesus is actually the fulfillment of this text, how the Son of God joined in our human suffering and pain and transformed it so that everyone in the world might be reconciled with God. Philip's yes to the Spirit's leading has now brought the Ethiopian eunuch into the family of God through baptism, right? That's what happens afterwards. Once the scriptures have been explained to him, he says, I want to be baptized. I want to join this family of God. And what's really interesting is that it's actually, in some ways, a fulfillment of a text that happens later in Isaiah, just three chapters after the the passage that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading. Listen to this. I, I found this, this just amazing. So this is from Isaiah 56, again, three chapters later. This is what the text says. Let not the foreigner who has joined himself to the Lord say, the Lord will surely separate me from his people. And let not the eunuch say, behold, I am a dry tree. For thus says the Lord, to the eunuchs who keep my Sabbaths, 
who choose the things that please me and hold fast my covenant, I will give in my house and within my walls a monument and a name better than sons and daughters. I will give them an everlasting name that shall not be cut off. I find that remarkable, right? The eunuch is there in the story. He's part of God's family, and he didn't understand that completely until he had this interaction with Philip. I just think that's amazing, right? The love of God, it's been on display in the per- precisely in maybe the differences, or maybe we might think about it as the particularities of this man's life. And these differences, right, they're not erased, but they're celebrated in places where the glory of God is on display. So what does this mean for us today? As I've been thinking about it, I think it's clear that this should be a challenge to us to think about the broader societal and personal patterns of living and thinking that we all participate in. I think another way to think about that, right, is asking this question. Do I have ways of thinking and living that are getting in the way of God's mission in my life? Right? Am I so set in what I think about something that I'm not willing to entertain something different? Or I'm not willing to be responsive to the Spirit's leading in my life? Right? Can I do what Philip is doing and say, yes, Lord, I don't understand, but make it clear to me. How do I, how do I be obedient in that regard? Where is God pushing me to be a bit more uncomfortable, perhaps? Right? To do something that's a little bit outside of my, my wheelhouse, to maybe interact with people that are different than me? Do I simply write off those who are different than me, or am I willing to be in relationship with them? So I was thinking about this. I was thinking about how that's played out in my own life some. I think a lot of you know, but some of you who are visiting may not know, but I grew up on the West Coast. I'm Southern California, born and raised, so I'm a, I'm a, I'm a little ways from home. And the South is the part of the United States where I'd spent the least amount of time. I had nothing to go off of but what, were, what I see in the media or in movies or my own stereotypical understandings of the South. It's, it was a challenge for me to say, Lord, you've called me to a different place, a culture that is not my own. And it's been a challenge for me to say, Lord, can I check those things in my heart? At the door, can I really love the people around me, even when they're different, even when I don't understand? And I hope the Lord is is blessing me through that and blessing other people. I hope I have the humility to say when when I've been wrong, and I've definitely been wrong. I've been so surprised in God-honoring and glorious ways to be doing ministry in a culture that in a lot of ways just feels so different to me. Here's what I want to leave you with. Here's kind of your thought for the day. The mission of God is bigger than our own cultural preferences. How can we be following God on that mission as we're on this journey? Who might come across our path that we need to be open to the Lord saying, go up to that chariot, talk to this person, start a friendship, build a relationship, Do something that maybe makes you feel uncomfortable and maybe asking ourselves, maybe the Lord might be doing something with this. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, amen.